Hi, this is Commander Mark Devine, founder of Seal Fit and author of The Way of the Seal and Unbeatable Mind. And you are fortunate enough to be listening to T.W. Smith at Kung Fu Podcast. Hoo-yah! Exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. That's what Kung Fu Podcast is all about. And I'm your host... T.W. Smith. Well, it feels like it's been a long time since I cranked up the recording gear where we interviewed Mr. Jamie Club and we discussed things, for example, some of the challenges that we face as martial artists and how can you create a voice for yourself to get your message out. Those are the types of things that were really important for us in that particular episode. In this episode, I want to ask you a question. Why did you start your journey on the traditional martial arts? I have openly shared my reasons for beginning my journey in the traditional Chinese martial arts and have found more peace and harmony in my life through the challenges and demands that the traditional martial arts brings into my life. Your origin story is an important one. It is a fire that is occasionally going to have to be rekindled. It is not to say that the reasons you began the martial arts today can't be different than your origin story, but when times get tough and they will get tough, you may want to reflect on why you began it all. How has it brought new opportunities for you to transform yourself into this life? The lady in this month's episode has an origin story that has become a driving force of her mission. That's part of the reason why I wanted to bring her on the program. It's not because that she has this big name that you're going to instantly recognize, but because I ran across her material and then I read her story. I invited her to this program without really telling her why. And you can hear all about that during this discussion. Before we begin, I want to make you aware that I've made many updates on our Patreon app. And for those of you that prefer to use the Kung Fu Podcast website, I'll be making many of those updates for the premium members there as well. So without further delay, here is the story of a female martial artist residing in the Pacific Islands who wrote succinctly, quote, Martial arts became my sword, my shield, and my pen to protect myself and to send a clear message, end quote. Let me just start first. Is uh, I wanted to try to pronounce your name. I mean, you have to remember, I'm from North Carolina, so <laughs> is it Tashiana? Nope, Tasha Ina. That's my, Ina is my middle name. Tasha Ina. Okay. Tasha. So if I just call you Tasha, that's okay? That's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> tell it, Tell the audience where you're located. I am located on the island of Maui uh, in Hawaii. Well, that really sucks, huh? Oh, man, it's awful. We're, I'm, I'm buckling down here in North Carolina. As you and I are speaking, if we do have any problems, there's actually tornado warnings. Uh, the spring here in North Carolina usually brings tornadoes. The fall brings the hurricanes. Uh, so uh, right now we are under a severe storm watch with uh, uh, tornadoes watches uh, right here in the area. So uh, I should be able to make it as long as the uh, satellites for AT&T keep working. Yeah, well, be careful over there. Now, I had a list of things uh, that I have wanted to go through with you, and some of it, as you and I had exchanged just an email or two trying to get this situated, did I ever tell you why I wanted you on the program? A little bit of yes and a little bit of no. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That's exactly, about exactly how I'd intended to leave it, mostly because I wanted to discover some of the things about you organically at the, as at the same time as the audience does. And and, I, and most of it was just because of some of the work I saw you were doing. And I thought and felt like you would be a good fit for some of the things that we do at Comfort Podcast. Awesome. And, yeah, you know, in Comfort Podcast, I, I don't know if you know anything about uh, Comfort Podcast or not. I've been doing this program for, I guess it's going to be going on five years here pretty soon. And about coming up on a a few hundred pieces of material content, a couple hundred podcasts along the way. Wow. You know, the whole tagline on it is basically what I try to stick with is that it's about the culture, the adventure, 
back to martial arts. And when I began to research your material, you became the impact of martial arts through the culture of women, mostly because of the adventures that you'd written about. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I've I've had a wide variety of background uh, when it comes to um, martial arts styles, mm-hmm. and I feel like. All of those have pulled together to create something uh, really great for women as far as self-defense goes. Yeah, so which actually leads me into uh, the next segues beautifully because my next card here I had written down is, is I would like to take moments and ask you to share with the audience the story about what led you into the martial arts, uh, mostly associated with the betrayal of a childhood friend. Ah, yeah. Well, it, it um, wasn't a, a childhood friend. It was a um, family friend who was actually one of my brother's best friends growing up. And he was uh, 17 years older than I was. And I just knew him as a big brother. Like all of my friends, all of my brother's friends, I looked up to them. Uh, I thought that they were just amazing people. And I never questioned it because my family trusted them. So for me, it was really shocking to have a situation where I was being followed by one of my brother's friends and um, trying to uh, talk to my my family about it was really hard for me at the time. You're a teenager and you, I think in, in some ways I was worried that they would think that I did something to provoke it or, mm-hmm. um, or something along those lines. So I thought, Oh, I, I'm going to handle this myself. And I confronted this person and I had known him for two years at that point. So I don't know how long he was following me. But I, I do know it was more than at least a couple of months. It, you know, it could have been for a couple of years. Um, so the confrontation was really scary. He was ex-military, um, special forces. He was six foot two, <laughs> over 230 pounds. So he was, a, he was a really big guy. And I was probably about two inches shorter <laughs> and a lot smaller and Definitely didn't have the build that I do now, but I verbally confronted him and my parents. I, I just have, I have a really amazing family unit. My parents really helped me with setting good boundaries, and so I verbally told that person, "You are not allowed to talk to me. You're not allowed to come near me. If you if you do." you know, all of the relationships that you have with my family will be gone. And he uh, came back in with a slew of curses. And I just stood my ground. I repeated myself. And he stopped following me. Uh, But I realized at that moment that if I was close enough, if he was there face to face, and he took a swing at me, I would have been a goner. Mm. And so I, I knew that I needed to go in and get martial arts training. Both of my parents, they were each martial artists and um, each instructors. My mom has hands as fast as lightning. <laughs> so we used to do slap boxing when I was younger, but I never talked to my parents and said, hey, I really think I need martial arts training. So that was more or less the beginning of me going to an actual dojo and studying Japanese martial arts. Um, You know, it's not the best of circumstances to go in there, Mm -hmm. but that that was the reason. And I think that it was, you know, one of the greatest decisions for me in my life. So uh, when I read some of the story, uh, that was part of the reason I wanted to have you come onto the program. As first is because you had gotten involved in the traditional martial arts, but the some of the things that led you into it as a teenager facing a, an adult, um, 
and the circumstances to which you described is very different than what many other people have shared their stories about uh, what got them motivated in the martial arts. I had nothing. For me, it was almost the opposite end of the extreme of mm. the reason why I got involved in martial arts. And uh, uh, you also had another story in there about something along the lines of uh, being assaulted with a man who had a steel pipe. Oh, yes. Uh, the 12-inch wrench, actually. I, okay. Yeah. So a couple of years before I decided to um, make my move to, to Maui, I was publishing a, a children's book. It was a multicultural children's book. I was really proud of it. And I had spent all my life wanting to be an author. And I had all these dreams and aspirations of what I wanted to do as an author, all these books that I wanted to write, everything. And it was a week before my book launch, and I had a knock on my door. And I, I went to the door, and I before opening the door, you know, because at this point, I actually had martial arts training and background, and I was teaching it. I asked who it was. They said their name what they were there for, which was maintenance, and they knew the apartment manager's name. And so because of that and the, because the fact that our building was locked and you have to have a key in order to get in, I opened the door and let this person into my, my home. Mm -hmm. So as he was doing work in the bathroom, which coincidentally, there were problems with the pipes inside the bathroom. So I don't know if there was any tampering of any kind, but he uh, was working in there and he started asking me very inappropriate questions. Uh, you know, my name, where I'm from, what I do to other things of, uh, am I happy in my relationship? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and... I suddenly, as I'm working, because I was focused on this book launch, I'm focused on getting the connections and emailing people, uh, I'm suddenly realizing that there's something wrong. And then he mm. said that he wanted to go check the pipes in the kitchen. And that was when it just hit me. He was in the kitchen and this realization dawned on me that there was no problem with the pipes in the kitchen. Mm. And I... It was this slow motion moment, and I'm sure that you might have had something like that where, you know, slow motion, everything just sort of slows down and you're kind of taking in your surroundings. Uh, that's basically what happened to me, and I looked up and I saw him in the kitchen holding onto uh, a 12-inch wrench and, and staring at me. Mm. And at that time, I, I went into my martial arts mode of assessing the situation, looking at uh, the weapon that he had, the size that he was, trying to decide whether or not I should use my martial arts skills right away or if I should hold back and see uh, what, was, what was going on and what he was going to do. Okay. So uh, he actually walked up, sat down next to me, and he was brushing my hair away, saying that I looked very tense. And of course, I was very tense. But I made eye contact with him. I was very stern with him. And I put a hand in between us and um, sliced it through the air. And I said, listen, you need to go back to what you're doing. I need to focus on what I'm doing. And I knew that if I showed any fear, he would hit me with that wrench. Mm. Yeah, and he was asking, you know, are you happy in your relationship? I said, yes, happy, go. Mm -hmm. And we just stared each other down for a second. Mm -hmm. And then he went back into the bathroom and I ran. I closed my laptop, grabbed my purse, grabbed my shoes and ran out the door. And I vividly remember him yelling out, does your boyfriend go down on you? Because I would. And I was disgusted and I opened the door and I got to the very end of the hall when he got to the door and he yelled, uh, are you really leaving? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm gone. Ran down the stairs, ran straight into <laughs> the property manager who looked like a linebacker. He was huge. Hmm. 
And <laughs> we, we were staring at each other and I just started yelling at him. I was so lividly angry. And I said, you know, who the hell are you hiring? Why would you do this? And he goes, I didn't hire anybody. And so we just, we stared at each other and he had the realization that there was something very wrong. So he ran up the stairs, you know, barreling up the stairs and through the door. And I just hear this huge thwack and he had been uh, pushed over and uh, hit. And then the guy ran off. The so, guy with the pipe? Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy with the wrench? Yeah. Oh, so this was all a setup. I mean, you were... Wow. So he, uh, yeah, so basically what happened there, um, he ran off. I was terrified. I Mm. ran down uh, stairs. I ran outside. I remember also calling my boyfriend at the time. and (laughs) And the first thing that he asked me to do wasn't, are you okay? It wasn't, Uh, You know, I will be there shortly. Where are you? It was, can you go upstairs to check and see if anything was taken? Uh, So it it was a very interesting realization that, one, I just had this horrible thing happen to me. And two, uh, I I am not too happy with the relationship that I'm in. I... (laughs) <laughs> you know, you, you find these uh, these does. things out. Yeah, you find these things out at the the weirdest times. I, I definitely uh, wanted to try and make this relationship work because he was a person who I knew from middle school. But I just thought, gosh, you're you didn't think any, you didn't ask at all about my safety. Um, mm-hmm. But I had this woman, and she just amazing to me she was a she's a police officer currently still her name was officer rush and at 6 a.m she started work and she got the call and came in to my aid at 8 a.m now she looked all over for this guy until 7 p.m at night and interrogated him until 11 p.m and uh that was a long day that was a that was a yeah that was a very long day for her. She kept on checking in on me, which mm. I have not ever experienced. That I've talked to friends about it. They haven't had that, so it was really great to have somebody in law enforcement who just really cared so much about your safety. I had a detective, Detective Miller, who was on the case, and and he would check in on me, and they stayed all the way through the date of the trial. Oh, okay. So this is uh, this was a year and a half of making sure that I'm okay, making sure that there was a no contact order. Uh, they had originally said that the bail would be uh, would be really high and there would be no way for this person to get out of jail. Now, mind you, I, I found out that he was in the military. So I was very happy that I didn't try anything just because I wasn't sure uh, what my skill level was against his skill level. So I'm happy that I assessed that situation uh, and decided to take a different route. Mm. I also found out that he was married with children and that he lived three blocks over and four blocks up. But because of confidentiality reasons um, and worry about retaliation that police officers had or would have with anyone, they they couldn't tell me the exact location of where he lived. So that's a really, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a really wide range when it comes to your home. So I had to move and I moved within three months of, of that experience, but mm-hmm. stayed through, through trial because they didn't have enough evidence to charge him before when apparently something had happened and he had raped someone. Uh, oh. Yeah. And so for me, I, I wanted to stick this through because I just knew that this person was not healthy. They were uh, deranged, mentally unstable. And it was very calculated what he did. The uh, neighbors what? had said that they, um, they had seen his car for over a couple of months just outside of my apartment complex. Well, I can tell you this much, Tasha. You're a much nicer person than I am because 
uh, unstable is the yeah that predator jackass. There's a lot of other words <laughs> that I probably use, uh, but. Uh, yeah, that, the, the, this is exactly why I didn't want to tell you too much about part of the reasons why I wanted to have on the program was because of the stories mm-hmm. and what you were bringing to what you were bringing to the martial arts table, both culturally and through these unfortunate adventures. And you had written that martial arts became your sword, your shield, and my pen to protect myself and to send a clear message. Did you write this? Did you really start to have that strong of a feeling about your martial arts being your sword, your shield, and your pen after this second adventure? Or was this something that had already started taking place for you? This had already started taking place for me, but it was it didn't run home until that time. It, I mean, I had already experienced uh, stalker situations, and and there. There was that history. I had experienced trauma uh, from previous relationships and different stuff like that. But nothing was as terrifying as that situation. Mm. And despite the fact that this person didn't physically punch me in the face, it was by far one of the most life-changing events I've ever had. And I did, I did follow through. I put him in jail the sad thing is that while we were waiting for trial he did actually rape someone before before the end of the trial so so he was sent to prison for rape and raped someone else well he was he was on a he was on a no contact order because he had gotten out of jail on bail Mm. Mm. so uh he was out there and Mm. i had I had hoped that he would be put away. I had a no contact order. I'm pretty sure that he had broken into my car at one point and stole lipstick and a couple of pictures of mine, but I didn't have enough evidence to um, have anything happen with that. But there were multiple good things that came out of this. He was in the military, so he had to go through military court after he went through uh, court with me. And then on top of that, um, then he had a rape case against him as well. So okay. he is still in jail. <laughs> yeah, in that civilian court, the uh, court system for the military is no joke. So with those stories being the backdrop to some of the things that uh, I had really wanted to kind of share with the audience, the driving factors, the motivating factors, some of the forces that brought you into the martial arts and have kept you in it, what styles do you practice primarily? So... Primarily, I focus a lot on uh, the Aikido, the Jiu-Jitsu, and the Tai Chi, just because you're using um, softer styles. It's easier for women of a smaller body frame. Mm -hmm. And the joint manipulation, joint locks, pressure points, it's uh, a lot easier than doing the the kicks and punches where you can break bones and and uh, in different situations where you're going up against somebody who is stronger than you that might not be the best route so those are the ones that I tend to lean towards I, I definitely am not done with my training I mean I'm sure as you know it's it's a lifelong learning experience as a martial artist uh, but I definitely want to study more styles so mm. that I can continually build up what I'm I'm teaching because for me I used to do salsa dancing back in Washington and I, I really loved it. So three years into my salsa dancing career and and into teaching uh, my martial arts uh, classes, I was walking late one night to my car up in Seattle and it was dark and I was alone. And I just had the realization that over 50% of what I was teaching would not be effective while wearing three-inch heels and a dress. (laughs) Okay. So I started thinking about it in those terms and even looking at it from different perspectives of, well, what if I was wearing a three-piece suit? What if I was wearing, you know, constricting uh, clothing or uniforms, different stuff like that. I started asking myself the question, well, what would I do if somebody was choking me 
what would be the best course of action, what would be the best style, the best moves. And I started compiling all of this together to create a curriculum that I thought would be very effective for not just women, but uh, people in general. Okay. So yeah, for for me, I, I do focus on uh, supporting women and girls uh, with mm-hmm. the work I've done. I had a program for middle school and high school girls back in Washington focused on self-esteem, body image, and self-defense training. Okay. It was just really important for me to be thinking out of the box and really understand coming from the perspective of people based on where they're at and their life scenario. What can I do to help them? Yeah, I remember reading something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, that uh, you were involved in either some sort of self-defense course or uh, was part of a seminar, and pretty much the gist of it was is that some of the instruction was pretty much as if he was talking to me, shave your head, don't wear earrings, and you'll be fine. Right? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't I mean, worry. And, if you, and as you see my picture here on, uh, yeah. on Skype, I mean, that's me, right? I mean, I'm bald-headed. <laughs> and yeah, I've taken away two target zones just to me. In fact, I was joking about this the other night when we were in our practical martial arts class, and we do a lot of sparring, and we go through what we would call realistic type of training. You know, oh, and, nice. and And so for me, realistic type of training is what's appropriate for me to achieve my objective. And as part of it goes along, we were sparring around. One of the things I did is I grabbed my student by the hair, the top of his hair. And I said, this is exactly, realistically, exactly what I would do. And that's exactly why I shaved my head, right? So uh, (laughs) because of over the years, I was always mixed up with something. But uh, you went through this experience where pretty much it was the first guideline in teaching you self-protection was this, well, just forget about being a woman and uh, start there. And you had some strong feelings about that. I did have some strong <laughs> feelings. I just thought, you know, don't wear your hair in a ponytail. Don't, uh, <laughs> I mean, that person could still grab my hair. So mm-hmm. what do you want me to do? You want me to put it in a low bun or a braid and then uh, don't wear long earrings. Uh, don't wear heels. Don't wear heels. Don't wear long earrings. I mean, there's a lot of it that just seemed very unrealistic expectations for me. You can't ask all women to suddenly wear flats. And I'm sure a lot of them would get really angry if you told them that or told them how to dress, what to wear, what to do with their hair. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I think that it's really important that people choose what they want to wear, but understand that they need to be able to defend themselves no matter what. So it was a a task for me to look at all of those different scenarios. And I had a self-defense partner, really great self-defense partner that started the same week I did in martial arts. And so we sort of grew together. He had previous uh, martial arts background and Chinese martial arts. And then also he was in the Navy. So he had military Mm. uh, training as well. He would uh, attack me while wearing, uh, well, I would be wearing civilian clothes and, Mm -hmm. and dressing up in some of these different cases. And he was actually my, one of my salsa dancing partners too. So he understood what I was talking about, where I was saying, you know, I'm not going to go out salsa dancing, uh, Mm -hmm. wearing pants and flat shoes and, and Mm -hmm. not get dressed up. It's just not something that I want to do. And so uh, it was really helpful for me that he was willing to take the time to actually do that so that I could process it and see what would be most effective. Oh, and the thing that really struck me with that story is part of the reason why I wanted you on the program is because you put it in very realistic terms for you on a day-to-day basis. Because in the martial arts, we, we will practice techniques, whether that's whether we're rolling around on the ground and that's pretty unrealistic, <laughs> or, uh, or we, we choke each other out with our gi, which I don't have mine on right now, you know, or, you know, or things like that. And those are all what we would call, like, uh, I think a friend of mine, uh, Ian Abernathy, likes to say dojo fun. Right, where it's like things that we do for fun and we enjoy martial arts and rambling around and you know, pound on each other. Then there's other things like you were just saying. I mean, you're a woman, you want to go out to the movies, you want to look nice. 
but yet still, you have to be able to aware, be become aware of what compromises your safety and then do other things in order to make sure that you have balanced that out somehow, whether that's over-awareness of your, of your settings, who's around you, any number of things. So when you're working primarily with women and children right now, uh, what are some of the things that you really try to hit home with them when you're, when you're first trying to get them started? I really want them to be more aware I think that it's really important and I, I really stress the awareness piece is invaluable because a lot of people we go through life and we don't really look at the people who are walking past us. Uh, we don't pay attention to all of the people who are surrounding us. And for me, I, I give them safety tips that I just want them to be um more mindful of to think of when it comes to walking around. Don't mm. look down and constantly stare at your phone. If you're go- if you're going on a run, you know, don't wear headphones or earbuds in each ear. Mm. Uh, it's just having that awareness and understanding, especially when it comes to kids being more cautious and asking more questions mm. and not automatically trusting um, an adult because I think a lot of kids, they look at adults as authority figures, which is wonderful. But if you have a stranger coming up to you and saying that they want you to go with them somewhere or they need you to fill out some sort of paperwork you've never met them before, it's good to question. When I was working with kids in the schools, that was something that I, I really pushed for them to do. I wanted them to just be more cautious than they were. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, clicks in my head that I remember teaching my son, uh, both in, uh, I was trying to teach him a little land navigation. Uh, So like, for example, if we're out hiking or if we're going out somewhere, um, that one of the things I try to get him to do is periodically about every few minutes is just to stop and look behind you, right? That's great, so, yeah. You know, and so it does a couple of things. First is it provides you a uh, reflection upon in case something happened and you had to turn around that some of that area would already be uh, in your memory. What did mm-hmm. it look like as you were walking away from the house? What did it look like as you were walking away from XYZ? So land navigationally, it, it helps a lot to periodically just stop and look around. But the other thing is that, you know, as I was talking with my said, and son, you know, one day when you're growing up and you're in the city or going out, periodically just stop and glance behind you. And yes. you just get used to every now and then stomping and glancing behind you, just not so that you could also get through the city, but you can become very acutely aware of somebody. Nice. How old is your son? He is 15 now. No, ah. 15. Yeah. All so, right. Yeah. Taking on the world. Well, pretty much. Look, one of the things, too, uh, I was in a conversation with a friend of mine, Jamie Club, not long ago, and I really try to encourage a martial artist to do is to find a voice. You know, for me, a lot of my voice comes through my podcast and some of the other things I do, and I'm trying to expand upon that in some other areas. If I was going to look at your work, I would have naturally guessed that your voice was primarily through your blog. Yeah, through writing. I, I really writing. enjoy Yeah, I really enjoy writing. I'm upping my visibility. I'm working on going live. I actually have this woman who is a Wing Chun uh, mm-hmm. instructor in Australia, and her name's Antonella Spatola. And she and I go live every, uh, every Monday, 10 a.m. Hawaii time. So it's like Tuesdays at 6 a.m. in Australia, but we go over all these different safety tips, and I think that because both of us are introverts, it's been really helpful mm. for uh, for each of us to have sort of a, a another person safety net, if you will, be able to lean on and, and work with when it comes to sharing with an audience and having a camera in your face. Oh, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I had noticed uh, also that, uh, well, pr- before I go any further, I, I had made myself a note. Do you ever see Hawaii Five-O out there? <laughs> no, I haven't. But I uh, I really 
I, I keep on looking around because I always see on social media all of these high vis- visibility people who are on the island. So, you know, mm. Liv Tyler, Steven Tyler lives here and you have uh, Mick Fleetwood who lives here and I've mm. met him and my boyfriend had a contract with him in LA and and so it, it's just fun you, the people who you meet just because mm. you live in a destination spot you have a yeah. whole bunch of people walking through see but being here in North Carolina and having lived many years in Texas uh, I, I keep thinking that it's like certainly if you live on Hawaii of course that's the first thing I have to get over my head is that Hawaii as a state is what seven or eight islands mm-hmm yeah, I mean, so it's like you can live in one place and never really bump into anybody of the other six places. It's so, true. Uh, a lot of people stay to their island. Oh, there's, homebody. Yeah, because, huh? well, there, there's different personalities for different places. Uh, a lot of people talk about how Oahu is sort of the L.A. of Hawaii. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I noticed that a lot of Washingtonians and uh, West Coast people come to Maui. It's Mm. a very low-key place. I know that when I was living in Washington State, I was a a workaholic, and this has made me slow down, not necessarily because I want to, (laughs) but but because uh, people are just a slower pace here. They're like, oh, well, I'll see you at this time, and it'll be an hour later. <laughs> they'll they'll show, show up, and it's like, okay, let's go with this. Uh, so it's really made me slow down my pace, despite the fact that I run two businesses and uh, do all of the other little projects that I'm doing. So Okay. Well, you know, I, I have a, just a couple more questions that I'm, all, I'm all, yeah. will. Uh, one of the things I think is really important for anybody who's in the martial arts is to have a knowledge and to expand their knowledge out into things that are not martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was mostly physical biomechanics, uh, athletic performance. That's what I did my graduate work in. I still work in clinics and work with athletes and things along those lines. And even though I started with that well, well before I ever got involved in the martial arts, it really helped me. Other people have physics and my primary teacher he was mostly a cook, and he would almost yeah. everything that he would teach you, he would put it metaphorically into cooking, right? And so uh, you'd be doing trying, to, for example, to go through a technique, and he'd say, you're too soggy. <laughs> you're too soggy. Right? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, he would always put it, he would put it in these, uh, or he'd say, you know, your kung fu, he said, you got to take your time with it. He said, it's like making a good oil for cooking. You can't rush it. You got to get the right ingredients. You got to put them all in the right oil, and then you have to let them keep soaking and agitated every now and then. But there's no rushing. Marinade. Yes, you can't rush it. You can't cuss at it. You can't beg it. You can't pay it. It will move at the pace it's supposed to move. And that was something that always kind of resonated with me. Is that he used his basis of knowledge as a cook to help me metaphorically understand the martial arts. I use my my background in uh, physical medicine and physical therapy and sports medicine and things along those lines to help me. Um, your other areas, as you said, you run two businesses, you do some other things, and you also enjoy being an author. Uh, have you learned in other areas or other fields that has helped you better understand or express your martial arts? Absolutely. I, I am a lifelong learner and... I've gone all the way from grade school up through graduate school, getting my MBA, and I've been able to take the skills that I've learned from martial arts and and the discipline and put those into the work that I do, but also the jobs that I have. I have a social media business, which mm. is kind of an interesting career choice. But what I've learned from the social media and cyberbullying and awareness, all of those different pieces, I actually put them into my my trainings when I'm teaching. Hmm. So that's that's just something that 
I don't think a lot of people necessarily think of, but in cyberspace, online, on the internet, it's a whole other platform to be Mm. mindful of and, and be aware of and really make sure that the information that you're putting out there is is very purposeful. Um, well, you know, one of the other areas that you had mentioned, and I can, once you mentioned it, it made me jot down a note. You said you enjoy salsa dancing. Many years ago, uh, I began practicing the West Coast Swing. Oh, yeah. And because of the nature of that particular dance, mm-hmm. we have to use angles and timing and and subtle body adjustments in order to allow your partner to follow a lead or get out of the way. or And it really did help me change a lot of the things that I understood as far as uh, moving. And, and to be honest with you, I actually started using some of those steps as part for the martial artists to help them. How to say this nicely. Listen, a lot of guys have a lot of brute strength above their belly button. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they could find their feet with a magnifying glass. I mean, it's like <laughs> their, their footwork usually, I would say, most of the time is, if I'm lucky, is pretty good. Most mm-hmm. of them come in atrocious, right? And and it's, it's just that we're used to kind of using our strength. And when you try to teach what just foot dexterity, like, okay, let's move here. It's, it takes a lot of time. Did the dance influence your work? Yes. Yes, it did a lot. For salsa dancing, I, I also did country line dancing. That's kind of an, inter- that's an interesting one. Uh, I've done that. I, I've done belly dancing classes and a whole bunch of other stuff. But I, okay. I, I love the, the way that when it comes to salsa dancing with your partner, there's uh, you're feeling that person's energy and you're working with it and anticipating the next move of what they're going to do. And when I look at martial arts, I see it the, the same exact way, focusing on balance, focusing on fluidity mm-hmm. and, and really taking those aspects of a dance and putting them into play. Also when it comes to salsa dancing and, and, uh, you know, country line dancing for that matter, you are setting boundaries with that person and their mm-hmm. their body of how close you want that person to be and how you want to be treated. Because uh, mm-hmm. there's uh, some people who will dance and uh, they'll spin you a certain way or they'll try and make you do a dip that you don't necessarily want to do. And I stiff arm them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I uh, had somebody try and bend me over one time and I ended up doing a martial arts move (laughs) where I actually got behind their back and I bent them over. (laughs) So um, so taking the aspects of of dance and putting them into uh, martial arts has, has been very helpful, but also the teaching aspect. When you're teaching salsa dancing, You're breaking down the moves into very uh, digestible steps. Absolutely. I think that when it comes to martial arts, a really good teacher will do that for you. They'll they'll do the step by step, so then you can understand in your mind all the all the things that you have to do. I took this uh, martial arts, not martial arts, but it was a a self defense training with Jeff Alexander. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So taught Rocky Balboa. It was called mm-hmm. the warrior, warrior Spirit Training, and I took that with my mom, and that was a really great helper for when I teach now because the way that he taught it, it was very digestible. But what I really liked is how kind of like what you're saying, you're taking these different life scenarios and you're putting them into practice. Yeah. Well, I, it's funny you say that. The thing that I remember the most about when I was first learning the dance was uh, exactly what you said there was that everything was literally step by step in small steps. And for those of you who are listening to the program and, and, are, and maybe don't practice an organized dance like salsa dancing or something on the West Coast Swing, for example, you know, it's broken down. And so when I'm talking about taking a step, 
the beginners start off at 80, what, 80 beats per minute, mm-hmm. right? You're looking at 80 beats, and, and to be any good, really, you have to get up to 120 beats per minute. So that's two, you know, you got two or three things happening very, very quickly, and all of this has to be maintained in a steady flow, and it really did help me look at some of the things I was teaching and break them down into smaller angles and break them down into smaller inches so that the practitioners could slow it down step by step and then naturally speed it back up to uh, to a, a rate that would be suitable for them to execute that technique. But uh, let's see here. Uh, currently, the, you I saw you actually, I think you put out something just yesterday or the day before. You're primarily teaching in the god-awful gems of Honolulu and other places, aren't you? I mean, I saw you uh, out in these really nice places. Well, uh, it's uh, Maui, so oh, in, uh, but you know, you're totally fine. Uh, I teach in multiple areas on the island, and one of, I have one that's called Powerhouse Gym in Kihei. I really uh, love it. I'm doing an eight-week series there. I have a beautiful studio. It's a uh, Pilates and yoga studio in Lahaina that I do um, two workshops a month in. And I do one at Serious Fun Fitness Pilates Studio. But I also do contract work in different areas. Uh, the Four Seasons is hiring me. So mm-hmm. it's really fun for me to go to a person's place of work and help them put together a safety emergency plan, uh, do a safety assessment of all of the different possible scenarios that could go on at their work. So there's, there's that I'm, I'm working with restaurants on the Island. So there's a, a restaurant called pie artisan pizzeria and they're Mm -hmm. getting together and getting all of the, women who work on front street together for a self-defense workshop and it's called a uh, drinks and defense because they're all bartenders or they're all okay. waiters. And what, what do you do when you're dealing with somebody who is under the influence? Um, because that's something that's very real that happens for them. On top of that though, I also have an online self-defense course huh. and that's something that, I'm developing more and more. I'd like to have more classes uh, and I'm putting together some right now. But the online self-defense course, I have people who are in other areas of the United States and other areas of the world who really want to learn self-defense, know the importance of it, but just don't have time. They're Mm. doing a million different projects. So going to a dojo or martial arts school is very unrealistic for them and they want to go at their own pace and Olympic athletes when they're practicing they they can do visualization techniques that are just as good as the physical practice so for me I put together uh, a series of eight classes and there's different attacks per class and I have counters to those attacks but I do a demo first and then I break down the move and then I'm actually teaching someone on the video so there's a woman who has never had a self-defense course before and I I was teaching her on video and then I have an at-home section so a lot of people a lot of women in my classes they they say, my husband won't let me attack him <laughs> or do a, ca- I do a counter move. Uh, he let me try it once and he'll never let me do it again. And so I have them uh, go through my online self-defense course. And I put together the at-home self-defense moves that you would do uh, as though nobody was there. So you have to actually have hand placement as though someone is with you, but it helps you to practice and mentally get the movements down. Well, so, you know, the idea of uh, online classes, I, I have, it's usually a mixed feeling. I'll explain why it's not, it's not bad. It's just that a lot of times, you know, when I read certain things, I don't think of, actually, I do think that learning online, for example, or, uh, 
with someone who's actually caring, and it sounds like you are, uh, is of a greater advantage than trying to learn from a book, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, so when you go, well, I got this self-defense book, and I'm going to be spending all weekend on it. Well, it's really hard to envision what you're doing from step to step on, in a book. So at least on oh, yeah. you have the resolution. And, and I think as long as it's my feeling is that, you know, you, I can teach a lot of things up to the point where we reach a threshold that you've got to find somebody that you can practice with occasionally yes. in order to actually, you know, you, it, there has to be that. You can't, you can't visualize flying a jet and fly the jet, right? You just yes. can't do it, right? I mean, I, if, I mean, you can practice it and it's helpful. Right. And it's and it's also helpful to see your objective in your visualization. It's helpful to see you facing fears in a visualization. It's also helpful to see you how how you might respond and have some education like you're explaining there. But in the end of it, you are going to eventually have to have somebody like your husband who is going to who is going to allow you to to whoop up on them just a little bit. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And being the type of person that I am, I, I pull from all of these different places, uh, trying to choose rele- relevant um, moves and techniques. And I am probably the, the worst critic when it comes to online classes. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, good. no, I, I, I'm very skeptical. I Because I go through, I want to teach something that, people are going to be able to digest. So I'll go through all of these different self-defense videos that people teach. And I'm, I'm right there with you where I'm thinking, well, that's completely impractical to teach <laughs> online. You have to have a person there with you. Uh, there you go. And, but I did have one other question and, and mm-hmm. a comment too. Yeah. Uh, you know, some people who have been through either trauma or other versions of uh, uh, assault or stalking, the last thing they ever want to do is to go into a public uh, into a public place like a martial arts place or even a seminar at the powerhouse gym or other places like at mm-hmm. my, my school. They don't want to be in a group of seven or eight, nine people that they don't know that are going to be practicing aggressive acts because they've already been through that. The fear of just overcoming the past trauma just to try to learn something is a big deal. And that's one of the advantages, I think, of having uh, something like an online media class. They, they can do it in private mm-hmm. and get started there. It's, it's spot on what you're saying. Because of my experience that I had, that last experience mm-hmm. that I told you about, I had extreme post-traumatic stress. Okay. And I... And because there was a no contact order, but that person, I am very positive, broke into my car and, uh, you know, lived in the same area that I did. I was terrified to leave my house. And Mm. so I thought about those people who were in that circumstance, who were in those situations and really felt like I needed to come up with something that would be be educational for them. Mm-hmm. And up their confidence enough so that they could take their next steps that they need to do. I mean, obviously, it, go get support, go see a therapist, sure. all that kind of stuff. But something that would up their confidence enough so that they feel secure in who they are and feel safe. Yeah, uh, and you know, and you would be critical to that because I mean, for them to come from a place of being assaulted or having some trauma. To go into an online class where they get to meet you, hear your voice, see your face, go through some moments with you, and then maybe one day they can actually take that to that next step where they show up to the powerhouse gym and actually get one-on-one training with you or personal training with you to where they're actually out out and being engaged with others and taking one step, one like we were talking about before, one small digestible step at a time to get themselves in a place where they could be more confident. Yeah, I I think that it is really important. And I think that it is uh, extremely important that they find a good place to to learn. I've had students who were put off by other self-defense instructors. Apparently, this uh, one of my students took a jujitsu self-defense course and 
and the there were three guys and one girl teacher and I guess that one of the guys was making a joke about rape and mm. and I'm sure that he was trying to make light of some sort of situation that was really terrible but to that person it just re-traumatized her mm. and I have had uh, students that I've talked to and worked with where me just having my uh, my questionnaire and asking them if they've ever been attacked before um, was a trigger for them. So yeah. being able to understand a person who has been through that kind of trauma and know what you could do to help them so that they can digest the information and it's palatable, I think is really important. And I, I do think that, you know, both men and women can be really great instructors, but having that understanding and that awareness of what somebody has gone through, there is a, a bouncer who uh, had been in a huge brawl on the island and uh, had experienced extreme post-traumatic stress and I was sitting with him when I was doing my physical therapy sessions and uh, he just he just couldn't get out of it it was sort of like this broken mm -hmm. record where uh, you, you remember those uh, VHS tapes where mm -hmm. uh, you put them in and then they get stuck and then they kept mm -hmm. on skipping back to that one spot that's mm -hmm. that's how it is for people who have post-traumatic stress yeah. they're reliving that one moment all the time and so how do you break that cycle how do you yeah. get through to them to say you know focus on this one section with me uh, for this period of time and, and just take a, a step away from all of the thoughts that are going through your head. Um, well, we've been chatting for a little bit over an hour now. And I, I, part of the reason I had didn't tell you a whole lot of the reasons why I had wanted to bring you onto the program so I could share them organically as we were talking. And most of it was because it's your purpose in the martial arts and the drivers that got you into the martial arts was so much different than most of the stories that are out there uh, for people who, who are involved in the martial arts. Plus, I also felt like that your message and how you share your message uh, was something that other people could find value in hearing from you. So thank you. That being, oh, thank you for coming on the program. So I, with that being said, how would you best tell them to find you? You can go to uh, www.international. And that's my official website. You can also feel free to contact me on any of my social media sites under LE Live Action. So that's E-L-L-E-L-I-V-E-A-C-T-I-O-N. I'm usually pretty quick to respond to private messages. But then you can mm -hmm. also email me at LE Live Action, E-L-L-E-L-I-V-E-A-C-T-I-O-N mm -hmm. at gmail.com. And in the future, uh, perhaps in the years to come, would you be interested in coming back sometime? Yes, I would love to. You know, I, I, I don't have any plans to go to Maui anytime. <laughs> hey, if you do, you got a tour guide. <laughs> the powerhouse gym. As long as I can find the powerhouse gym. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, ma'am. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Her motivation for starting traditional martial arts was directly linked to her safety. She has taken her traditional martial arts and transformed portions of them to help provide services to her community. She is working in a positive direction with others and making a difference. Her primary voice is her written word, much like Mr. Jamie Clubs. And the primary message there is, keep working Find a voice that resonates with you that you're comfortable with and really make it good. To follow up on this, there's going to be a special episode on the difference between fake and real empowerment by Kung Fu Podcast Agent of Action, Kai Morgan. And I'll be having that out very soon for you. This particular episode made me consider various ways that we as martial artists can take critical moments of our lives and transform them into driving forces. In this episode, we heard about betrayal, vulnerability, and a teaching methodology that basically said, if you want to be safe, then don't be a woman. Don't dress up. And this martial artist took exception to that. Good for her. 
Let's close this episode with a quote from her work. Martial arts became my sword, my shield, and my pen to protect myself and to send a clear message. I'll be talking with you soon.